Hey y'all, I'm Katie. And I'm Rebecca. And this is Chills. Thrills. And Kills. Podcast. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting so good at that. We'll, we'll get it even better one day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this is episode number three. Number three. This is so exciting. I know. I'll be more excited. We still haven't released our first episode yet as of recording this episode, so I'm really nervous, but I'm really excited to get some of that good constructive feedback from you mm-hmm. guys. Mm-hmm. But it is ready, so at least that's done. <laughs> it is ready. We just we don't want to throw off our release date by getting too excited and releasing it early, so... Yep, you're just going to have to wait. But by yep. the time you hear this, you'll have already heard it. So anyway. <laughs> so anyways, moving on. I'm just getting a little antsy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So I guess I will jump into it. Today I am tasked with true crime. Mm-hmm. So I get to be the bummer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this one is another very, very sad tale of a girl taken in her teenage years. And this case actually fucks me up so hard. Like, I reached out to old friends. Like, what? I'm not even kidding you. There was one night where I was in the middle of research, and I was trying to just get everything studied, and I broke down. And I just started reaching out to all of my high school friends and, like, thanking them for not being a psychopath. Oh, well, I'm really looking forward to this one. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the case I'm covering today is the case of 16-year-old Skylar Niece. Are you familiar with it at all? Yeah, I hate this case. Yeah, me too. Okay. So, I'm sorry for doing this to you. Okay. (laughs) So, Skylar Neese was a Morgantown, West Virginia native. She was described as intelligent, compassionate, super stubborn, bubbly. And from everything I read, she honestly just seemed like the kind of friend you wish you could have in high school. I did not have, though, so. (laughs) Yeah, same. Anyway. (laughs) So when Skylar was in the second grade, she met Shelia Eddy at a community center. Despite the fact that she lived in Blacksville, 20 miles west of Morgantown, the two girls became best friends almost instantly. They were practically inseparable. They were both only children. uh, So, you know, they didn't have that built-in best friend and a sibling. So they kind of became that to each other. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, So when Shelia's parents divorced and her mom remarried, they moved to Morgantown, where Shelia and Skylar would attend high school together. So the high school that they went to is called University High, which confused me a little bit and kept making me think it was college. (laughs) Yeah, that is super, super weird, but okay. (laughs) Yeah, so they started, I believe it was their freshman year, they were able to start together. Uh, So... At this high school, they met Rachel Schof. Uh, Rachel was very religious, an active participant in young life activities, which I'm not really sure what that is, but I'm assuming it's some kind of, like, youth group. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Yeah, it sounds like that to me, too, so that's kind of what I'm going with. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So she attended the St. Francis Catholic School before transferring to University High. Okay. 
the three started hanging out together and they, again, all three of them inseparable, they spent almost every waking minute texting each other, calling each other, tweeting at each other. Twitter is a big part in this case, by the way. <laughs> uh, so then they started getting into trouble. They would drink, smoke weed, break curfew. There was like a very strict curfew in West Virginia that I believe was 11 p.m. So this was by law. They could actually get in trouble with law enforcement. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So in retrospect, parents and friends of both Skylar and Rachel have claimed that Shelia was a very bad influence. And as we get further into this, I'm sure all of you will agree because she is the fucking devil. She literally is the fucking devil. Yeah. So some of Skylar's friends would actually avoid hanging out with her when she was with Shelia. Uh, they described her as mean and controlling and they just didn't want any part of it. Uh, Skylar would actually lose several of her friends because they just did not want to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Rachel's friends also felt similarly about Shelia, and they blamed her for changes in Rachel's behavior. Uh, so, as I stated, Skylar and Shelia had always been inseparable, but this changed when Rachel came into the picture. Uh, the group dynamics shifted very quickly, and Skylar felt herself being left out. More and more often, the two girls would go out on... Uh, the two girls, Shelia and Rachel, they would go out and have their own little trips, and they would just completely leave Skylar behind. Assholes. Truly. Uh, <laughs> so the girls would also constantly have mini feuds over Twitter, but then days later, hell, even hours later, they'd be hanging out and acting like nothing was wrong. Mm-hmm. Typical girl friendship. Yeah, pretty pretty much. But they became far more frequent and concerning in sophomore year. So Skylar supposedly actually caught her two best friends having drunken sex with one another at a sleepover. Oh, that's not awkward at all. Not even a little bit. Now, keep in mind, Rachel is extremely religious. And not religious in, like, the good, awesome way, but in the being a lesbian's bad way. Oh, because we love a hypocrite, right? Very much. <laughs> Sorry, people love loud motorcycles. Oh, <laughs> um, So the sleepover ended with Skylar and Shelia arguing. Weird. So the rift that this caused would end up being irreparable. Yeah. Uh, In one of these Twitter feuds, Skylar tweeted on September 6, 2011, I would tell the whole school all of the shit that I have on everyone, which is a lot. Hashtag if I could get away with it. Ooh. (laughs) Yeah, so obviously at this point, Skylar and, or not Skylar, sorry, uh, Rachel and Shelia start getting a little uncomfortable with her having that knowledge Mm-hmm. yeah so the twitter arguments between skylar and shelia continue to worsen and a tipping point comes when skylar and shelia spent an entire one week trip in june 2012 fighting it was pretty much at this point that shelia decided fuck this i'm done skylar has to go and began working on a plan with rachel 
I hate girls. <laughs> <sighs> Me too. This is why I have no friends, you guys. <laughs> Teenage girls are literally fucking Satan spawn, so. Yeah. And these ones are the worst. So... Fellow students and one teacher actually overheard Shelia and Rachel discussing the best ways to dispose of a body in October of 2011. Um, and nothing was said about this beforehand? Well, there are a couple of circumstances that make it a little less suspicious than it sounds. So, mm-hmm. first of all, they were in a biology class focusing on forensic science, which... okay. Yeah, if they'd had that in my school, I probably would have an actual career right now. <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, it just, it might be a logical thing that would come up, but still a little, eh. mm-hmm. Um. Secondly, a body had actually recently been found behind the school. This, oh. It was just a few weeks earlier, so, you know, it like... There are a couple different instances that are like, okay, well, I could see why. Mm-hmm. Okay. However, students actually state that they had heard them specifically trying to figure out a way to get rid of Skylar. Wow. I don't... Oh, my God. I don't understand why people don't come forward when they hear shit like this, regardless of whether it's a joke or not. If you think someone is serious at the time, please fucking come forward. Like, tell somebody. Well, well, here's the problem. They kind of did. So (laughs) the students who overheard the information warned Skylar almost immediately. But the problem is, is Skylar was, I mean, she was in love with her best friend in the way that, you know, you love your sister. So Mm -hmm. you're not necessarily going to believe as a teenager that anything wrong is going to come of this. So they didn't take it to, I don't know, an adult. Mm -hmm. But so she dismissed it, saying it was a game that the three girls had been playing and then obviously went and asked them. So Shelia and Rachel assured her, oh, it's nothing, which not good enough for me, but okay. Yeah, duh. (laughs) (laughs) Oof. So in spring of 2012, Rachel became increasingly worried about being blackmailed by Skylar. Because remember, she she has some little information on them that would not look great to her church. Yeah, she's got some real juicy information. (laughs) Yeah. So she told another student, Rachel, I wouldn't mind if she died. Oh. Wow. Kind of a weird thing to say. Uh, Yeah. So according to Marsha Ashdown, the case's prosecutor, it was that spring when the girls became very serious about their plan to kill her. Mm -hmm. And they did the majority of this planning in their science class. So where the fuck were their teachers? Right? What the? No. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Like... I will admit, so my science class in uh, the high school that I went to in ninth grade was awful. And the teacher did very little teaching and very, very little, uh, what's the word, punishment. Like, there was was just no real supervision in that class. But I guarantee you, there's no way I was getting away with plotting a murder. Yeah, hell no. And my teachers were nosy as fuck. If I was writing anything down... 
yeah, they would see it. <laughs> oh, my science teacher in ninth grade was like the biggest doormat. Like there were fist fights that happened in that class, and it ugh, it was horrible. <laughs> California education system, guys. Yeah, Great. shout out to teachers. Period, <laughs> though. Jesus. <laughs> I mean. I have had some amazing teachers, so I'm not going to throw shade at all of them, but there are some really shitty ones. Oh, yeah. Really shitty ones. (laughs) Yeah. So, continuing on with this horrible, horrible nightmare. um, The three continue to hang out despite the fact that their friendship was just dissolving right before their eyes. uh, And despite all of the building tension. Which brings us to July of 2012. Uh, Rachel was about to go to a Catholic church camp. Knowing she'd be gone for two weeks, Rachel then told Sheila that if they were going to follow through with their plan, it would have to be beforehand. Oh my god. Yeah. So I know um, where this is headed. <laughs> I know, we all do. It's so bad. <laughs> I don't know what possessed me to do this case, but I hate myself for it. <laughs> okay. So on Thursday, July 5th, Skylar came home from her job at Glenmark Center's Wendy's around 10 p.m. She kissed her parents goodnight and then went to her room. Around midnight, Sheila and Rachel either called or texted her, asking her to join them for a joyride. Skylar obviously was hesitant. They weren't getting along. Uh, in fact, earlier that evening at 7.48 p.m., Skylar actually tweeted, You doing shit like that is why I will never completely trust you. Hmm, we'll look at there. Also, if you get a weird feeling about taking a ride with a friend, going on a walk with a friend, trust your gut. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, unfortunately, that lack of trust did not win. Her bond with Shelia did. So, Skylar agreed to join her two supposed friends. So Shelia parked her car next to the niece's apartment and Skylar snuck out of her room. She, this actually had become quite a habit for her. So she had a bench that she kept in her closet. She'd take it out of her closet, put it outside her bedroom window, and then jump down onto it. And this would also help her get back inside so that, you know, she could be home when her parents were like, hey, where are you? Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, she would not be needing it to re-enter her bedroom. Yeah. So once they had her in the car, Shelia and Rachel had planned to follow Route 7 west through Cassville and towards Blacksville. However, a police car uh, that was parked near an intersection linking Route 19 to Route 17 scared them into taking a different route through Mount Morris. Now, keep in mind, the trip to where they ended up with her was about, if you take Route 7, is about I don't know, 30 minute drive away. So they had 30 minutes to think about what they were doing before they got there and still went through with it. I hate these two little bitches so much. Yeah, (laughs) it's not going to get better. So two miles north of Blacksville, the girls went north and drove into Morris Run Road. Now, Morris Run Road is fairly secluded. All three girls, though, were familiar with it, as Shelia's father lived on a road parallel to this one. Uh, So they'd drive it somewhat, I don't want to say frequently, but they would drive it occasionally, so they all knew what it was. Uh, Mm -hmm. 
So after parking about a mile in, the girls got out and they sat talking for a while. More time for these two stupid bitches to, like, decide, no, we're not going to do this. But on they go. So as planned, Rachel and Shelia suggested they all smoke pot. When Skylar began walking towards the car to grab a lighter, the two girls counted to three, then took the knives they'd hid under their sweaters and began to stab her repeatedly. Oh my god, I hate them so much. <laughs> I know. Like I'm I'm fighting the urge to cry because this is this is just awful. Like I had a lot of falling out with friends in high school, but we just parted ways. Yeah, I never even considered doing anything remotely violent to anybody I had a falling out with. You mean you're not a complete psychopath? I mean, not a complete psychopath. (laughs) (sighs) All right. So Skylar fought her attackers. Um, She was actually able to grab Rachel's knife at one point and sliced her just above her ankle. But sadly, because there were two of them and one of her, she was overpowered. And these two girls stood over her watching as she died. Oh, my God. How do you not have a fucking conscience? (laughs) So her last word was a whimpered, why? Oh my god. Yeah. So these two fucking nightmares had planned to bury Skylar, but discovered that the ground was too rocky. So they changed their plan again and instead moved her next to a big tree and covered her with rocks and branches. Then they washed themselves in Morris Run Creek, which runs right behind where they did did all of this. And then they disposed of their bloodied clothes and knives, but left Skylar's turned off phone next to her body. Um, So these girls had the forethought to actually pack clean clothing with them. Yeah. I don't even know what else to say about these two little shit stains. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. Um, So this took only a few short hours, and the girls were back home at dawn. So the next morning, Skylar's parents left home early for work. They figured Skylar was still in bed, and they'd see her later. It wasn't that unusual. But when her father, Dave, came home from work on his lunch so that she could use his car to get to her job, he discovered she was not home and that there was a bench beneath her window. So he very quickly pieced together, oh, so she snuck out last night. And mm-hmm. he called his wife, who was at work. His wife suggested that she call Shelia first of all. So he calls Shelia, and Shelia swears up and down, no, you know, I haven't heard from her. I don't, I don't know anything. Sorry. So oh, he calls my God. His wife. I know. It's just <laughs> the level of... I don't know, the lack of any remorse. Seriously, you grew up with this girl, you know her parents, and you just straight up lied to them. Oh, her parents later said that they loved her like their own child. Yeah, I just, I don't fucking get it. It's horrifying. Uh, So, after calling Shelia, he calls his wife back, and his wife gives him a list of other friends' names and numbers, and is like, call all of these people. Mm Mm-hmm. Nobody had heard anything, or at least nobody said they heard anything. Uh, so he calls her back, and she says, okay, well, you know what, let's wait until after I get home. She Her shift at work starts at four, so we'll call and make sure she gets there. Mm-hmm. 
Well, she gets home and almost immediately receives a call from Wendy's where their daughter worked. They were asking, hey, is your daughter planning on showing up for work today because she's not here? Oh, my God. The feeling that must have went through, like, I can't imagine. Yeah. So, at this point, this is extremely out of character for her. They, goddamn loud car, sorry. (laughs) They... Like, their daughter has a very, very strong sense of responsibility. She has a 4.0 grade point average. She's never missed a day of work. So they call the police immediately. They know there's something wrong here. Mm-hmm. And it's at this point that that dumb bitch, Shelia inserts herself into the narrative. She calls the nieces back. Almost, like, almost immediately after the police being called, she calls the nieces back and admits to taking Skylar out on a joyride the night before. The fact that she uses joyride as the word, though, makes me want to vomit. Yeah. Ugh. So she insists they picked her up at 11 p.m. and then returned her to the end of the, her street in less than an hour, just before midnight. <sighs> So the parents have no reason to discount the story because, I mean, again, this girl grew up in their household. Yeah. So Shelia and her mother then join the nieces in going door to door to inquire if anyone had seen anything alongside a Star City police officer. While it proved to be unfruitful, their building had actually recently installed security cameras. So the police requested that the landlord pull these tapes and kind of just see... If they could find anything. Well, they did find something. So this footage showed Skylar getting into a car at 12.31 a.m. So the car was parked right next to the niece's apartment. No one recognized the vehicle as it didn't appear to look like Eddie's car, which was a silver Toyota Camry. Now, keep in mind, these cameras were not great. So they were very blurry. And it was, in fact, Shelia's car. Mm Mm-hmm. The FBI would later enhance the footage and say and reveal that it was her car and she had been driving. Uh, The landlord, though, had actually said that the vehicle looked like an SUV. So. Oh, wow. Way off. So really bad camera footage. Um, So at this point, because the vehicle looked so different from Shelia's and the timestamp was after the time mentioned in her story, no one was really questioning it. And they also didn't rewind the footage further to see if her story lined up. Which, mistake number one. Um, But again, you know, they have full trust in this girl. And nobody's expecting a 16-year-old to go out and murder her best friend. Yeah. So, because the video showed Skylar willingly getting into the vehicle, the police suggested that her family wait a few days, as she'd likely run away with someone voluntarily and would soon come back. Yeah, because... Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, because a student with a 4.0 GPA who has never once complained about said school or whatever and who has a job is just going to fucking run away. Not to mention, so she actually left her phone charger at her house. Okay, what 16-year-old girl leaves a charger when they are going to be either away from home for an extended period of time or just decide not to come back home? That doesn't happen. Yeah, especially with these girls in particular, they were fucking glued to their Twitter. 
So it just, it doesn't line up, but there's also a law in West Virginia at this time that until there is evidence of foul play, a missing person will always be considered a runaway. Wow. Yeah, even if they're a minor. That makes sense. Yeah, it's genius. It's a real great way to go about it. So, in addition to the Star City Police, the FBI also involved themselves in this case due to an earlier missing person case of a girl named Aaliyah Lunsford. I may be saying that wrong, and I apologize. Um, So, based on a fear that they were connected. Mm -hmm. So, working in tandem, they interviewed Shelia on July 9th. She repeated the same story that she told Mary just days prior, but an officer on the case didn't really buy any of it good yeah unfortunately though a lack of evidence forced them to let her go so (laughs) the next day the next day rachel's called she pretends that she hadn't even heard about skylar's disappearance she'd gone on her camp trip on july 7th and had spent the day before july 6th boating with her mom and her mother's friend So, a face-to-face interview was scheduled for when she actually returned from camp, but she never showed up. Surprise, surprise. I know, real weird. Uh, When she was finally interviewed, Rachel's story was so identical to Shelia's that the police became even more suspicious. It just, it sounded too rehearsed. Mm -hmm. So, unfortunately, due to those same laws, she was still considered a runaway, And the police refused to even issue an Amber Alert or push too much harder. Oh, my God. (laughs) So none of her family or friends believed she'd run away. It was absurd. Uh Uh-uh. So fed up, her mom, Mary, lost it on the Star City Police Department. Uh, Oh, rightfully so. Yeah, so this was August 24th, just after the start of the new school year. She went in and she's like, why the hell haven't you involved state police? At which point she is blazingly lied to. They they tell her, oh, we've contacted them. We've asked them for their help. They refuse to get involved. Hmm. So now she's like, uh-uh, I'm calling them myself. So she calls them. And they said, no, they sent us flyers to post, but they never asked us for help. Oh, fucking course not. Of course. So she contacts, so she contacts them and they immediately involve themselves because they're like, no, this is a missing child. This is important. Yeah. So they also thought it could have been tied to a bank robbery, which didn't pan out. So I'm not even going to go into it because this is long enough. Um. (laughs) But, yeah, so state police are involved at this point. Um, On September 3rd, warrants were issued to seize all means of electronic communication from Shelia and Rachel. So, you know, all of their tweets, text messages, all that fun, horrible stuff. Yeah, it's about time. I mean, it took fucking long enough. Yeah. (laughs) So the state police officers also review the surveillance tape several times before finally figuring out the biggest flaw in the girl's stories. Shelia's never once seen picking up Skylar at 11 p.m. Surprise! Mm -hmm. So they expand their search further into the western part of the state, and more specifically, Blacksville. They also gathered more surveillance from throughout the city, which allowed them to call into question the original timeline given by the girls, even more so than just the lack of the appearance on the footage. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So now something really weird happens. Uh, the all three of the girls' friends are subpoenaed to appear before a federal grand jury in November. Oh shit. Yeah. So that's I've never heard of that happening in a case, but the records of it remain sealed to this day. Wow. That's. That is, that is interesting. <laughs> yeah, so statements from those involved indicate that they were questioned mainly about drug traffic in Blacksville, but also the bank robberies that I briefly mentioned, and Skyler. So at some point during all of this, it actually came out that Shelia had admitted through her attorney that the three girls had been in Brave, Pennsylvania the evening that Skyler went missing. Okay. Yeah, it remains unclear why she strayed from her initial story. I could not find anything on it. Yeah, and where did this, like, random city come from? Yeah, so that is... So Brave, Pennsylvania is the area where I said it took about 30 minutes for them to get there. So that Mm. is actually where they ended up murdering their supposed best friend. So she... Oh my god, okay. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know. So throughout the entire investigation, Shelia did weird shit like this all the time. She did absolutely everything she could to be involved. So classic move for the guilty. <sighs> yeah. Uh, so she would actually, and this is the part that disgusts me the most. She would go over to Skylar's parents' house and cry on Skylar's bed. Oh my fucking God. Yeah, she had she actually had posts on social media where she was interacting with Dave, Skylar's father, saying, "Oh, I love you. I'm so sorry she's missing." And it makes me physically ill to think that somebody could be that fucked up. Seriously, like if there's any textbook definition for a sociopath, she has to fit that. Yeah, although not to say that all sociopaths are horrible people. I know that you guys get a really bad rap. Yeah. You can be a sociopath and still be a fully functioning, amazing member of society. Like, just throwing that out there. But she would be... The horrible A bad example of one. Yes. (laughs) (sighs) So, she as I said briefly, she posted sad statuses on her social media. Not so much on Twitter. Twitter was mostly your typical teenage girl shit as well as some horrible things thrown in that I'll mention later um she also helped distribute missing persons posters around town and would ask the nieces about the investigation frequently of course she did of course she did so the nieces were eventually warned by police to tell Shelia nothing which good on them mm-hmm. but of course Shelia, being the fucking psychopath that she is she would use others to get them information for her so it's at this point that rumors begin spreading around their school about what could have happened to Skylar the main one was that she probably had a drug overdose and her two friends just covered it up what the fuck because she has a she had a 4.0 GPA and was super responsible never missed a day of work but she had a drug habit Well, the girls did go and get high together often. And, you know, there is that misconception that it's really easy to OD on pot. Oh, yeah. It happens all the time. Yeah. But it is a common misconception. So I can see why that would seem plausible. Especially since it's a lot more believable than these girls just outright killing them. Or killing her. I don't know. I just... I think Uh, that's 
I mean, it's horrible and stupid, and I hate all of it. <laughs> but try and wrap my head around it somehow. Um, yeah, so this these rumors just kept spreading, and the two girls, though, seemed to spend more and more time together and not really appear to care at all about their friend's disappearance, with the exception of those bullshit sad mentions on social media. Mm-hmm, of course. Yeah, so a lot of Skylar's mentions on social media are like, please come home, we miss you. And for a long time, she was actually getting a lot of rewarding responses, which are like, oh, you're such a good friend. This is exactly what we need. And, ugh. Yeah, because at this point, everybody that they knew are still thinking that these girls were still super close friends. They had no idea what had been going on behind the scenes. Yeah, there are some people where until the day that one of them cracks said that, uh, like, they stood by them 100%. Sickening. So the rumors and harassment continue to intensify while Shelia remained unmoved by any of it because she's fucking bananas. Rachel began to crack under the pressure. Uh, unlike Shelia, she'd done everything she could to distance herself from the investigation. She wouldn't even visit the pa- the girl's parents. She just could not. Uh, so, in addition to the rumors, harassment from authorities just began to really wear her down. She was pretty much falling apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, while all of this is happening, the police have used the girl's cell phone records and surveillance from city cameras to further solidify the time discrepancies. For instance, the three girls had actually been texting after 11 p.m. You know, the time Shelia said they picked her up. Uh-huh. So all of this evidence mounting is what actually caused Rachel to change her story. This time, they were hanging out near Brave, Pennsylvania, when Skylar randomly ran off into the woods. Oh. Okay. Must have been that pot overdose. Yeah, something like that. All the drugs just made her randomly decide, I'm going to run off into the woods, you guys. It's only, like, really cold out, but it's fine. Yeah. So, Shelia now tells the same story. Which, unless they were, you know, colluding together, that she would probably be sticking to the original story. Mm Mm-hmm. So, it's just... Okay. So they were both scheduled for lie detector tests. Shelia took and failed hers. Surprise. Mm-hmm. Rachel, however, and this is the weirdest thing, Rachel bailed out of her dad's car on the way to a meeting with her attorney before her test and then ran all the way to the office of Shelia's mom. Yeah, because that's not fucking suspect at all. Not even a little bit. I couldn't find anything, but this, re- like, but this fact that she ran to Shelia's mother's office... It pretty much solidifies the the theory that Tara, the mom, knew something. Like, she knew what happened. Yeah, she had to have. She was Yeah, she was actually tantamount in uh, Shelia's arrest, which I'll get into a little bit later. So, she, Rachel did not report to her attorneys or the lie detector test. As Rachel's parents tried different methods to control her increasingly aggressive and erratic behavior... A physical fight actually occurs between Rachel and her mom. Oh. Yeah. So at this point, there, uh, Rachel locks herself in her bedroom and threatens to kill herself. 
that's not dramatic at all. Not even a little bit, but I can't <laughs> say that I'm surprised based on what they've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so her parents admitted her into Chestnut Ridge Psychiatric Hospital, which not necessarily a good look for two girls trying to pretend that they didn't murder their best friend. Mm-hmm. So uh, they actually banned Shelia from being able to visit her in the psychiatric hospital. Good. But good move. Uh, five days later, Rachel's release, and another good move on the investigator's part, is she's driven immediately to her attorney's office, where an interview with the investigators could happen. They basically, their reasoning for doing this is they said that they wanted to get to her before Shelia could. Mm-hmm. So, knowing that she'd had a mental break, they were really hopeful w- that she would crack. Which she did. Thank fucking God. Truly. None of them were expecting what she had to say when she did, though. Uh, So what she said was, we stabbed her. And when asked why they did it, she said, we just didn't like her anymore. Um, hold on. What? Yeah, yeah. Um, They actually never admit to the reasoning being that they ca- that uh, Skyler had caught them in a lesbian relationship. To this day, they still have not admitted it, but there have been some updates that just kind of make me giggle. So, wow. So you, okay. Anyway, yeah. So they just didn't like her anymore. So they just stabbed her fifty fucking times. Oh my god. Ugh. So she attempted to show the officers to Skyler's burial site, but due to snow, it would unfortunately have to wait. Uh, in this waiting period, they bugged Rachel's room, hoping that they'd get some kind of confession from Shelia, but they did not, because this is a stone-cold bitch. Mm-hmm. Two weeks later, on January 16th, Skylar's body was finally found, six months after she disappeared. Six months. Yeah. This bitch, six months, was just good with, oh, it's fine. They don't need to know. Crying to this girl's parents for six fucking months. It's so, so awful. Oh, my God. Uh, So, during the continuance of their investigation, Rachel was allowed to roam freely. And Shelia still continued to deny any crime was committed. Of course, the police officers uh, surprised Shelia and her family with a warrant at their house to seize every knife in their home, as well as in Shelia's car. This, of course, wouldn't be helpful because the two girls ditched the knives. Mm-hmm. But they are eventually caught, you guys. Don't worry. So once it was revealed that the body did, in fact, belong to Skylar, the girls took to Twitter. Shelia actually posted, rest easy, Skylar. You'll always be my best friend. Oh, my God. That little shit ass. Ew. Yeah, and there were photos where they're, like, hugging each other, and it looks like they're playing, like, dress-up, and it just... Ugh. And so, Rachel posted, Rest in peace, baby. I love and miss you more than anything. May you finally have justice. Mm-hmm. You stupid at, bitch. At this point, I do kind of feel like Rachel wants her to have justice, for real, though, because she did turn herself in. Yeah, but she also waited six months, so. (laughs) Oh, I mean, you're not wrong at all. She's still horrible, but 
I hate her post a little less than I hate mm. Julius. Mm-hmm. So on May 1st, upholding her agreement, Rachel surrendered herself to authorities and had her first day in court. She pled guilty to the Myrtle murder. Oh my God, Myrtle. <laughs> <laughs> she pled guilty to the murder of Skylar Niece and agreed to testify against Shelia in any trial whatsoever. In exchange, the prosecution representing West Virginia agreed to recommend a 20-year sentence for second-degree murder. Second degree? Second degree. Like, for those of you who aren't super aware, and I forget what the difference is all the time, so I googled it myself to make sure, the difference between first-degree murder and second-degree is pretty huge. So, first-degree murder is where you intentionally plot out, to the last detail, a murder of a person. Second-degree murder is, it was, a, it was a thing of passion. It just happened in the spur of the moment. That obviously is not what this was. Obviously. Quite obviously. Ugh, so that infuriates me to no end but anyway so during this Shelia Eddy was arrested for murder while leaving a Cracker Barrel diner with her family the only yeah Cracker Barrel so the only reason the police even knew where to find her is because they had called her mother Tara and said hey we need to speak with her again and this is where that theory that the mom knew what was going on Mm -hmm. comes from because she actually said Yeah, no problem. We're having dinner at the Cracker Barrel right now. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, that's not necessarily information that they needed. Mm, No, they could have, she could have said, when can I bring her to meet with you? (laughs) Yeah, so anyway, so they arrest her in the parking lot, uh, and she pled not guilty to the charges of murder, kidnapping, and conspiracy, and even appeared to smile while in court. Oh my god, I want to punch her in the fucking face. (laughs) Girl, look up her mugshot, which I will post to the Twitter after this is released. Both of the girls are smiling in their mugshots. I have to look this up. Yeah, it's atrocious. So, a trial date was set. When she reappeared in court a month later, the trial date was actually pushed back with an additional pre-trial hearing beforehand. At this pre-trial hearing, Shelia Eddy did a complete 180. She began to sob the second she sat down, before the trial had even begun. Yeah. So, fake. Mm-hmm. Also, I just um, pulled up their mugshots, and they look like they're posing for, like, class pictures. They do. It's grotesque. Oh my god. They're f- oh my oh my god. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. So Shelia pled guilty this time. In exchange for this guilty plea, do you want to guess what she got? I don't know what she get. The prosecution agreed to a sentence of fifteen years to life. Fifteen which yeah, it, like, that's, that's less years than the girl they murdered was allowed to live. Mm, yeah. Stuff like this just really, it makes me so fucking angry. <laughs> yeah, justice isn't a thing. No. <sighs> so, 
Shelia made the minimal effort in court and never actually apologized to the niece family. Instead, she relayed through her attorney that the Eddie family recognizes the niece's sorrow. Gee, thanks. Yeah. What a slap in the fucking face. Ugh. Rachel, on the other hand, apologized directly to the family through tears. She accepted a sentence of 30 years for second-degree murder, with parole possible after 10 years. I don't... Okay, yeah. like you said, justice is not a thing. Yeah, it... <laughs> fucking just... Ugh. So, both are currently serving their sentences at Lakin Correctional Center, so they also get to be together in prison. But, so just a couple of little wrap-up things here. Shelia, throughout this, continued her very active life on Twitter. Uh, So, on July 8th, 2012, and this makes me so angry, two days after killing her friend, posted, I'm so tired of losing sleep over this. Bitch. Yeah, November 5th, 2012. No one on this earth can handle me and Rachel. And if you think you can, you're wrong. Oh my god, I want to go where they're locked up so fucking bad. So bad. You're not a little badass. You're a little punk-ass bitch. Like, what the fuck? So, this one's probably the most upsetting to me. And this is through all of her really upsetting tweets. So, this is after she's already... Like, suspect number one. April 1st, 2013, at 1.37 a.m., she tweeted, We really did go on three. Which, yeah, which if, for those of you who have the memory of a pancake like I do, at the beginning of this, they said they counted to three before stabbing Skylar. I hate both of them. Yeah, so that... So there are actually, and this is also really upsetting, there are actually groups on Twitter trying to argue for both Shelia's and Rachel's releases because they were just kids, but tried as adults because they fucking should have been. Get the fuck out of here. How can you justify this? Like, yeah. Oh my God. Oh my fucking God. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm going to leave you all to sit on that outrage because there's just no cute way to wrap this up. Uh, so my sources are SkylarNeeseMurder.com, My Crime Library, Crime Online, Twitter, Wikipedia, and ABC News. Ooh, that was heavy. <laughs> I know. I feel sick. <laughs> yeah. I just... Oh. I don't even want to talk about it. (laughs) Well, then let's not talk about it. And now you can get back at me by telling me a terrifying story. Okay. And this is a good one, too. So. (laughs) Hey, Rebecca, guess what? What? I got my heathen hippo candle in the mail today. Really? So did I. Yeah, so I got the fireside scent, and it is literally my favorite thing in the world right now. I got my white tea and fig scent, and same. Yeah, they're amazing. Not to mention, our cute little logo looks so good on the front of this candle. I 100% agree, and I just, I don't know. I want to send one to everyone. (laughs) 
same. They're super affordable. They're natural because they're made out of soy. And because they're made out of soy and they're natural, they burn evenly. There's no lingering smoky smell. And they even use my favorite wood wicks. Yeah, so that nice little crackle. Oh, my goodness. Especially with Fireside, I imagine that would be so nice. Yeah, it's literally like I'm sitting next to a campfire in my cramped little studio. It's perfect. (laughs) I love it. So, guys, if you want one, there are nine fragrances, five customizable font options, or you can get some of their really fun standard label options. They have some Joe Exotic ones that are calling my name. So, if you want to buy some of these adorable, affordable candles, go to Heathen Hippo on Etsy. And you can use our little code, CTKPOD, and save 10%. Yeah, so uh, literally not seeing any reason you shouldn't do that. So, head on over right now. Like, right now. Right now, do it. (laughs) Okay, so this is a good one. And before I start my story, I just want to let you guys know when I was researching this, one of the websites I used, which is called uh, legendsofamerica.com, kept going in and out and I was sitting on my couch researching this and my light started flickering and my dog started acting weird so I hope this affects you like it affected me because it was it was not cool but I want to share that experience with you (laughs) why would you wish that on people I don't like any of that well uh it was an experience so anyway Um, my story is on the Union House haunting. So, May of 2001, Stephen Lachance was on the hunt for a new home for himself and his three children in Union, Missouri. The lease on the apartment they had called home for two years would quickly be coming to an end. He'd searched through countless ads until he received a phone call about an older home in the area that he was looking to rent from. The home was said to be on the larger side and was in great shape. He was invited to an open house and decided to take his oldest child, which was a girl, so his oldest daughter, along to check out the house. The following Sunday, Stephen and his daughter walked into a large white house where the air was light and filled with the scent of fresh baked cookies. So, I mean, that starts this house off at a just great... The house was split level. It had three bedrooms and a large family kitchen. The father and daughter duo wandered down to the basement where they found an old butcher shower, which is exactly what it sounds like. (laughs) Nope. Yeah, that probably would have ended it for me, but, you know, whatever. And a fruit cellar. And a fruit cellar is basically kind of like a wine cellar so if you had a fruit cellar you would take fruit down and let it dry out or age or you would can it and store it there okay so the two instantly fell in love with the house and steven ended up filling out a rental application my theory is they didn't actually fall in love with the house they just really liked the smell of cookies yeah that's what i said (laughs) i was like i think whoever baked these cookies knew exactly what the fuck they were doing so Mm -hmm. yeah So Stephen turned in the application and the laden lady accepted it with a smile and asked him if he understood how much it took to keep up with an older house, which he responded, yes, I do. And I think this is a very beautiful home. 
The landlady informed Stephen that she would be in touch with him after screening all possible tenants and making a decision. Stephen recalled that the landlady was a little strange and showed the house off more like a museum than a house. A week went by and Stephen began to get discouraged. When he was about ready to give up hope and start house hunting, the phone rang. It was the landlady informing Stephen that he had been chosen to rent the home. He agreed to meet with her at a restaurant, which why didn't they meet at the house? I haven't figured out, but that was a little strange to me. But they agreed to meet at a restaurant where they went over some paperwork and discussed the payments. So the family ended up moving in during Memorial Day weekend, which is when this is being recorded. (laughs) How very thematic of you. Uh, This was not on purpose. (laughs) Which gave me the chills even more because right now it's the Sunday before Memorial Day and I was like, oh, fuck. (laughs) Like, no, I don't want to be channeling this shit. (laughs) So everything was going smoothly with the move in and then they spotted this random car that just stopped in front of the house so Stephen, of course approached the car because i mean he's got his three kids in this house so i would approach it and when he approached the car the occupant yelled i hope you get along okay here and then sped off uh weird yeah so also, though, you're, like, crazy brave. I would not approach the house or the car. I would be like, uh, yeah, calling the police immediately yeah. and then just be done with it. No, absolutely <laughs> not. I have several nieces and nephews, and when it comes down to stuff involving them, I never think twice about approaching someone just because I automatically think they're small children. Like, if they're – whoever it is is a threat, I'm not going to leave them in harm's way. So – I, I probably mean, would have yeah, done the same. <laughs> yeah, and I get that. But, like, also, so you approach this person, say they shoot you, then the kids are even more in harm's way. Yeah, but what if they were expecting to get out of the car and shoot them anyway? Calling the police really wouldn't help anything because they wouldn't have time to get there. I mean, fair. So maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm a little crazy, but I would have done the same thing. <laughs> okay. I feel that. <laughs> so... The first night in the home went great. Everyone got a great night's sleep. The following morning, Stephen prepared breakfast for his family and went to wake up his children. This was when he noticed that each door in the home had a hook and eye lock on the outside of the doors. Nope, move out. Immediately move out. That's what I said. Um, No, there's a reason someone was trying to keep something locked in these rooms. Absolutely not. Not going to stick around long enough to find out what it was or why it was being locked up. Yeah. Yeah. So he tried not to think too much about it as he finished his meal with his children. The family then began their unpacking. Stephen hung a large photo of two angels in the living room. And when he turned to exit the room, he heard the photo crash to the ground. He turned around, examined the photo, and then rehung it. And no. then it fell again. So he went and rehung it again. No, stupid, just leave. <laughs> yeah. And then it fell again. <sighs> so this happened about four times before he finally hung it for the last time and looked at it and said, I said, stay here, damn it. And it stayed. <laughs> uh. Yeah. <laughs> I just feel so exasperated right now. This is just... <laughs> <laughs> So 
While he was fighting with the photo, his kids were on the front porch, just people watching. After finally getting the photo to stay in place, Stephen joined them on the front porch. They saw countless people from all walks of life walking their dogs, jogging, just enjoying the weather when his daughter pointed something out. Nobody walked directly in front of their home. Nobody stopped in front of the home and everyone would cross the street when they got to the edge of their property, walk the distance, like that was the length of distance in front of their home, and then cross back over to get to the street they were originally walking on. Mm, that's not suspicious at all. Yeah. So Stephen just kind of shrugged this off, thinking maybe they were just uncomfortable with new neighbors. Mm, no. Uh, yeah, you're probably not no. right there. <laughs> <laughs> so Sunday rolled around, and the family decided to spend the day working on the yard. So Stephen went, sent his youngest son to go grab a water hose that he had previously seen in the basement. A few minutes went by, and he heard a scream. He ran inside and seen his youngest son standing in a puddle of his own urine. Mm. Yeah. Stephen scooped up his kid and asked what happened. His son looked him dead in the face and said, Daddy, something very large and very mean chased me out of the basement. No. Yeah. (laughs) Stephen tried to convince his son that maybe he had just gotten scared and took him to the bathroom to clean him up. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. The next day, the family returned home after a long day at school and work and noticed that every single light in the house had been turned on. Okay, but don't these bitches understand that electricity is expensive? Uh, right? That was my (laughs) point. Like, are you thinking about some bills around here? Because, no. Okay? I think, no. I think going with the the age-old stereotype that was even further perpetuated in The Walking Dead... I think that whoever this ghost is, or whatever this ghost is, it is female, because apparently we only know the light switch works one way. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I mean, mess with the meter, do something, save me some money, shit, don't turn all my lights on. (laughs) So, and this was a big deal, because Steven specifically remembered going to at least his kids' rooms, his room, and the kitchen, making sure all the lights were turned off before they left for the day. So, Stephen also walked inside with his kids, and his daughter pointed out that it was colder in the living room than it was in the rest of the house, and it was significantly colder. So, needless to say, all of his kids ended up sleeping in the bed with him that night. (laughs) Yeah. So, in the middle of the night, Stephen got up to get a drink of water when he noticed a dark figure standing in his living room. Stephen believed maybe his eyes were just playing tricks on him and closed his eyes really tight, expecting the figures to be gone when he opened them. No, stupid. That's (laughs) not how that works. Only to reopen them to see the figure now standing facing his direction. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So this figure begins to move towards him and it starts picking up the pace while he's just stood there motionless. So, from his personal account, he said that he could feel this figure breathing on him when it finally disappeared. It just, like, got in his face and vanished. Mm. So, he ran back upstairs. He immediately woke his children up and told them to run to the car. They made it down the stairs. As Stephen got outside, he turned around to close the door behind him and saw the figure charging towards him and slam the door. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -uh. Nope. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) 
So they all ran to the car and they drove down to the end of the driveway when his son turned and said, Daddy, Daddy, the monster from the basement is standing in my bedroom window. So sure enough, all four family members turned to face the house and saw a large figure standing in the window facing the, the road that they were on. You were freaking me out, dude. Yeah, this story fucked me up, dude. <laughs> I am glad I don't have a full day of work tomorrow because <laughs> I will not be sleeping. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> so... Stephen sped up to his parents' house where they ended up spending the night. The following morning, Stephen actually had to leave for a week-long business trip, so his kids stayed with their grandparents for the week. Stephen had already decided when he returned he wanted to move his family out of the home. He returned from his trip and discussed moving with his parents, where his mother suggested that he call the landlady to ask if other tenants had reported any of the same occurrences. She told them that none of them had, so Stephen talked himself into staying in the house. (sighs) He thought maybe it was just a one-time thing and it would never happen again. Oh, he, yeah. It's a casual one-time haunting. That sounds yeah. right. But okay. he was very wrong. <laughs> uh-huh. So a few days went out with went by without incident. Stephen was in the living room while his kids were all playing upstairs when he heard a when he felt a very dramatic temperature drop mm-hmm. accompanied accompanied by a foul stench filling the air. Mm-mm. Yeah. (laughs) Nope. And then all of a sudden, he started hearing screaming. (sighs) Yeah. So My whole body right now, you can't see me, but my everything is twitching. Yeah. Just just wait. (laughs) No. So he began to hear screaming, and apparently his kids heard it too, because they, like, booked it downstairs to their father. Mm-hmm. So the kids were standing in the living room, covering their ears, screaming and crying, trying to figure out what was going on. And the screams just kept getting louder and louder and louder. And it sounded like they were coming from the walls. So not only are they hearing all of the screaming and all of this, you know, temperature difference and feeling, you know, feeling the temperature difference and then smelling this disgusting stench. Yep. They also start to hear the furniture being thrown around upstairs. Okay, I didn't like that couch from Ikea either. Yeah. (laughs) So Stephen ended up calling his parents, begging for their help to get his kids out of the home. His parents sped over, got all of the kids out of the home, and they all ended up going to the end of the road and turning around and looking at the figure, or looking at the house. So they all reported seeing the same thing, the same two things to be specific. The first, they saw the dark figure that they were accustomed seeing going from room to room, slinging furniture around the house as if it was looking for them. Ugh, no. Yeah. So while this was going on, Stephen's mother basically is just standing there with her mouth wide open, staring at the tree next to the house. So they're all kind of like trying to figure out what she's looking at or whatever, and she starts to point at the tree. Well, they all look up into the tree and see a dark figure, like, crawling out of the tree, down the tree. No. Stop it. Coming towards them. So, they all get in a car and leave. This was, of course, the last night they spent in this home. Good. Finally. Yeah. 
So the children never returned to the home, but Stephen did have to go back to collect their belongings. He never went alone. He always brought people with him. But whenever he did, he could record things like whispers, yelling, laughing, things being thrown across rooms. He would always see dark figures like crouching in the hallway and running by the doorways. Just like all this bullshit. Just while he's trying to pack all his items up. No. So... They move everything out of the home, and a few months goes by, and Stephen's brother sends him a link to a um, Wikipedia page for a John, yeah, yeah, for a John T. Crow. So, I found a little bit of information on this guy. Apparently, the Wikipedia page has been edited since the story's gotten a little bit of popularity. Um, There's not much information left on there, but apparently he wasn't a very good guy. Um, He was a Union soldier, a slave owner. He owned the land the house was built on originally and then built the house himself. So the house belonged to him. Once he got out of the military, he raised cattle and pigs and would slaughter them on property, which is the reason for the butcher shower. Mm -hmm. So apparently he was a rather large man. So this is the man they're thinking the family saw, you know, that he was the dark figure. Mm hmm. So after he does all this research, he just decides he's going to go by the house and see if there's anyone living there or whatever. So he drives by, and as he's driving by, this was at night, by the way, he witnesses witnesses the family that currently lived there hauling ass out of the front door in their pajamas, and he he sees the figure in the window. Uh. So he knows he's not crazy. He knows that <laughs> this definitely happened. Like it wasn't just their family. So from what I have found on this house, now it's turned into a dog kennel. Nobody wanted to rent it. I don't I think it's kind of fucked up they're keeping animals there because animals are definitely more sensitive than we are to stuff like that. But yeah. anyway. So, that is the story of the Union House in Union, Missouri. My sources are Thrillist.com and Legendsofamerica.com. <laughs> well, thank you for that. I hate it. <laughs> I now feel extremely nauseous and just... Ugh. Yeah, that one got me. Yeah, also, got me also, since I have on these headphones that block out noise from outside of my own skull uh (laughs) while you have been talking my boyfriend's sister who lives in the room above me has been like walking around her room and so i'm just hearing these very muffled footsteps (laughs) the entire time as well as my boyfriend going in and out of the garage and holy shit am i on edge oh yeah that's that's a lot (laughs) oh god okay yeah. So, Katie, other than these stories, what have a uh, chilled, thrilled, or killed you this week? Okay, so, <laughs> so, um, I we've recorded several episodes today, and in between the last one we recorded and this one, I got up to go get something to drink so we could take a little bit of a break. So, (laughs) this kind of killed me. So, I get up. I walk into the living room. Uh Uh-huh. Your audio just cut out. Oh, my God. Can you hear me? (laughs) Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. 
So I get up to walk to the kitchen to get something to drink, and I happen to glance into the living room where my boyfriend is playing video games, and he has moved the whole ass couch right in front of the TV. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. yeah, I was like, uh, uh, what are you doing? And he was like, well, you took my chair to record your podcast, so (laughs) I just moved the couch, and I'm like, hmm, casual. All right. <laughs> Careful, but, though. Remember, the the more you move stuff around, the more active your ghosties are going to be. Yeah, that's what I was like. Uh, do you not listen to anything that I say? But anyway, <laughs> when we were recording the last episode, um, Rebecca was telling this wonderful little ghost story. And as she's telling me this, one of my dogs decides it is a great idea to run into the door and scared the absolute shit out of me. So there's that. <laughs> uh, so what about you? Any chills, thrills, or kills? Um, so what I didn't mention in the last episode, which as you've stated, we also recorded today, I have had this wonderful ear infection that <gasps> has been killing me. Our first episode was actually recorded while I had that. And I could not hear out of my right ear at all. Yeah, so shout out to Rebecca. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, thank you. I try. Um, So there's that. And now the antibiotics that I'm taking for it are destroying my stomach and giving me amazing headaches. So... (laughs) Yeah, something to look forward to. (laughs) Yay, but at least I can hear. So there is that. Uh, But yeah, that's about it. I have a very boring life. You all will soon find. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) It'll get better, uh, maybe. (laughs) Or it'll get worse. You know what I say? It's my favorite. (laughs) Yeah, let's not jinx that, though. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Yeah. But, yeah. (laughs) All right, well, if you guys have any more interesting stories to tell us, uh, please feel free to email us at chills, thrills, and kills at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at ctkpod. Find us on Instagram at ctkpod. Or find us on our Facebook group at ctkpodcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. But until next time, guys. Bye. Bye.